huge car guy. I mean, I need a car, and so I have a car, and that's important to me. But I'm not a huge car guy. But in 2007, Porsche, the company, was looking to uh, have one of their classics fully restored. So they reach out to probably the number one car restorer in the world, Egon, not to be confused with Ghostbusters, uh, Zweimuller, who sounds like he's German, but he's actually from Austria. And Egon's father started this restoration company by uh, establishing a junkyard. And so all these people would bring these cars in. And so he started seeing all these cars that were brought in and thought, I bet I have enough stuff to start restoring some of these cars. Now, we're not, we're not talking about updating them. We're talking about restoring them. Egon says this. His approach is pretty straightforward. I want to restore a car to factory delivery status, to be exactly the same as the day it left the factory. Now, this guy is absolutely the best. He has one million pieces, his largest archive of its type in Europe and priceless because it's not digitized. It includes, for example, 20 of the notebooks from Ferdinand Porsche used to jot down ideas about various car projects. Elvis, the king, once bought a 1964 McLaren M1A from Egon's father. I love this quote. You can't Google this information. This guy goes all the way back, and some of his cars are absolutely out of this world. But again, this is not some sort of rebuild. This is complete restoration. See, my brother had a 1956 Chevy that wasn't true to, to its originalness because they changed out the motor and they swapped some things out. Uh, but this is from the factory as if you had just bought the car the day that it was available to be completely restored. This is it. We get to finally be done with Lamentations 5. And it's kind of interesting because Lamentations 5 ends with this prayer. And it's a prayer about restoration. And it starts this way. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah, Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. 
For this is our heart. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us, and you remain exceedingly angry with us. What? (laughs) It's interesting because we get to that end, and it's like, you ever get to the end of a movie? You're like, wait, that's it? That's it? So the the Jewish uh, folks decided, we're not going to end there. So in most Jewish Bibles, they actually go back and they add 21 to be number 23. So let's try this again. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Okay, that feels better. That feels better. So we have this interesting corporate prayer. And it starts with this word, remember. And I know we've talked about memory before, and Nikki reminded me, she's, she said, you've talked about re- restoration before, but what we've talked about before is remodeling, not restoration, and so this is slightly different. But we've talked about the importance of memory before. And so notice all of the corporate words that happen as the writer is trying to get everyone involved into the conversation. But why do we want to remember? Or maybe why do we want to forget? What are the things that we want to remember? What are the things that we want to forget? I saw a hilarious meme the other day. And it was like, I can remember all the songs from the 80s word for word, but I can't remember why I walked into the kitchen. And I was like, amen. Absolutely. Like, Yesterday I was at Cub Foods in East, East Brainerd, and I was standing there, and I was like going through my head. Okay, I forgot my list, so what else do I need? Memory is important, and it's interesting because there is a, there's a difference between memory and nostalgia. Because nostalgia has us remembering in a particular way that oftentimes gets distorted. Brene Brown says this. She says, nostalgia is is a dangerous form of comparison. Think about how often we compare our lives to a memory that nostalgia has so completely edited that it never really existed. That it never really existed. Because remembering correctly is important. I can remember back growing up, and, and we kind of we substituted heat. We kind of you know, supplemented our heat with wood. And, and so we had this giant wood pile out in the back. And we lived in town, and it was like a mile to the wood pile. And I always had to go and get the wood, even though I was the youngest of three. And I always had to do all the dishes. And I never got anything in return. You're like, yeah, you're saying this because you're the youngest. 
It's interesting because my brother, my middle brother, remembers that slightly differently. How is it that our memories function? Remembering correctly is important. Temper Longman III says, to remember is to act. And notice we have this beginning of this prayer, and the writer is calling out to God to remember his people. Remember, O Lord. Because in this instance, what wants to be remembered is the people and the relationship. Because nobody wants to be forgotten. Deep within ourselves, nobody wants to be forgotten or nobody wants to be left out. You ever have those birthdays that go by and you think, okay, it's, it's 8 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock, it's 10 o'clock. Certainly they haven't forgotten about me. Remembering birthdays is of very important to me. So we start with calling to God to remember. And then because of these couplets, these two lines of sentences, the next sentence starts very similarly. And the writer tells God, look, look at us. Look at us. These kids, these kids of God are calling out to him. God, would you please look at us? Because looking and seeing are of utmost importance. When we talk about the ironic blessing from Numbers and this idea that God's face shining upon us, looking at us, seeing us, looking and seeing are two different things. It's kind of like hearing and listening. How often is it that we look but we never see? We hear but we don't ever actually listen. And in this case, the writer is saying, God, please look at us. We need you to see us. We need you to turn your face and see us. It's that little child. Mom, Dad, look at me. Watch me. See what is happening. And these people are saying, God, You have forgotten us. Remember us and look at us. Because things things are bad. Things are really bad. You're like, yeah, we know. That's why we're ready to be done and move on from this book. Never to ever go back to it ever again. But what is happening? All of these things. And it's in redundancy. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. All these things that they used to get, they no longer get. We are weary. We are given no rest. Have you ever been there? Like, tired is one thing, but weary is just a completely different thing. It's just this overwhelming sense of, I just cannot continue to be buffeted the way that I've been buffeted. And no amount of sleep 
is going to bring me back. The people are weary and they are at the end of their rope and they're crying out to God as a group. And it's interesting because in verse 7 we see this, this recognition. But is it a recognition or is it an excuse? Is it a slight dodge or is it just the reality? The writer says, Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Which causes us to scratch our heads and say, How does this work? Because there can be this tainted, twisted view that that when allowed to ferment can produce some, some challenging and negative and bad theological conclusions. They're saying our fathers have sinned and we bear their iniquities. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the reality of this. Because our fathers, our parents, our ancestors sin. And so we have to deal with the sin that, that they have committed. Well, we deal with the results of those sins. And in Nikki and I's lives, we talk about this very often. Both of our fathers left our mothers. And we still, to this day, have to deal with the sins of our fathers. And so that is a painful thing. And the writer is saying, yes, our fathers have committed sins. That's why the people are in exile. And we are dealing with it. And the cry is, God, help us deal with this. It's not a blame thing. It's, it's not a distancing thing. It's an acknowledgement of the reality that when our parents make choices, then our, we deal with it. And likewise, my kids will deal with the sins that I have committed. Interesting, neither of them are here. <laughs> and it's not that they're not forgiven. That's what's important. Sins are forgiven the effects oftentimes have residual lasting things that occur. Sin gets forgiven, but that doesn't mean that it somehow is then eliminated and the consequences continue. You know, if we go to Pizza Ranch and we decide to gorge ourselves and we repent from our sin as we're driving home, we don't somehow get to be free of the consequences. <laughs> Mm, cactus bread. <laughs> and so these layers continue to be peeled back. And then notice, notice what, what is happening in verse 16. The crown has, befallen, has fallen from our heads. Woe to us, for we have sinned. So we see this moving of the people in acknowledging that, yes, part of what they're experiencing is because of what their parents have done. That's why they're in exile. But also they're acknowledging before God that, yes, God, we have sinned. We have made bad choices. And because of our bad choices, we are experiencing things in life that are very painful. So it's not an abdication of responsibility. It's an acknowledgement 
and, and that the pain that they are experiencing is because of the choices that they have made. And thankfully, thankfully, that is not where this ends. Two of the most powerful words that exist in the entire Bible. They occur in many, many places. And they are right here in verse 19. But you... But you, O Lord. And Nathan Nassif, my speech teacher in college, taught me this. But is this adversative. Is that the right right word? Grammar was never one of my strengths. Yes. Adversative. It's a negation of everything that was just said. You ever notice that? You'd be talking to somebody... Yeah, I mean, I just really miss you, and, and I love spending time with you, and yeah, we should really get together, and we'll do all these things, and, but I got to go, which is like, basically, all the stuff that I just said doesn't really matter, and we see this echo throughout the entire Bible, and Paul loves to use this echo in places like Romans. Where he says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but but the gift of God is eternal life. Or probably my favorite. In Ephesians, as we walked through it last year, you see the reality of the human condition And Paul says to the church at Ephesus, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And that same phrase is right here. We've been spending all of these weeks that feel like it's been a whole year. Hello. (laughs) dealing with these laments and all this pain and this agony and we're coming to the end and the writer is talking and praying out to God about everything that has happened, all of these terrible things that are taking place and this anchor of hope. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Amidst all of the chaos and all of the pain and all of the agony and all of the reality of life. The writer clings to this bit of hope. But you, O Lord, reign forever. That is the hope. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We just sang hallelujah for the cross. Because amidst all of the chaos and all of the poor decisions that we make, we know that God is the same. No matter what we do, you, Lord, reign forever. No matter the decisions that I make, God, you love me and you pursue me and you desire to be in relationship with me. And the writer is clinging to this hope And notice the tension that exists here. 
Because at the same time that we say, but you, O Lord, reign forever, the reality of what is happening is ever-present. Why do you forget us forever? Because again, as we wrestle with this concept of lamenting, we deal with the reality that God is true. And God's love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And at the exact same time, we can feel forsaken and forgotten and abandoned by God. And both of those things can be true at the exact same time. And woe to the person that ever says, no, that's not true. It's right here. (laughs) It's right here. Well, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't ever feel these things. So, you can. You can. That, the writer of Lamentations is feeling that at the exact same time. And if we believe this is God's word and God's word is true, this reality can exist for us. So if we are feeling forsaken by God, that can be true. And at the same time, we can cry out and know that God loves us and he will reign forever. And this hope of this prayer and this cry out to God happens. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. This concept of restoration. So as my senior year of high school, I decided to cut from heavyweight to 189 for the state wrestling tournament. So I'd lost about 28 pounds healthily. Tears in my basement after eating chicken and broccoli. Why, God? And Nathan Salachek and I were wrestling. He was the 171 guy, and he... We're just dinking around, and he throws me right onto my shoulder. And instantly, the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced in my life. Now, I haven't had kidney stones, and I haven't given birth to a child, which I hear are the exact same thing. (laughs) And I instantly knew that something was wrong. And the pain, oh, And I dislocated and separated my shoulder. And if you've ever dislocated a joint, especially a large joint, it's not comfortable. And the longer you wait to set that joint back into place, the harder it takes. This last week, uh, 10 days ago, Owen Leeper, he's a professional skier. He was caught in an avalanche out in Jackson Hole, dislocates his shoulder, has to wait to get to the hospital, takes three people to put his shoulder back into place. To restore the reality of how his body was to be put together. That same imagery is here. Because when we are out of joint with God, when we have made decisions in our lives that separate us from God to create this dislocation, 
there's pain and there's suffering. And the longer we wait to get restored, to get relocated where we are to be in the presence of God, in relationship with God, the harder it is. It's not impossible. It's just hard. And so as we conclude this book of Lamentations, we see this hope. We see this hope of being fully restored into relationship with the God of the universe as he has designed for us to be. But we have to want to make that happen. We have to choose and cry out to God and say, God, restore us to yourself. Renew our days as of old. And in the midst of pain and suffering and all the realities that exist in this world, we are offered this hope. This hope that we can be restored. We can be made new in Jesus Christ. And when we are made new, then we can help restore other people. Because to fracture relationships is to live in a state of dislocation. But you, O Lord, reign forever. So the question is, What would our prayer be this morning? If we were to write a corporate prayer this morning, as the writer of Lamentations concludes chapter 5, what would our prayer be? And maybe for some of us it would would be different. In reality, it would be different. But for those of us who are experiencing the pain of this reality of being dislocated from God, the hope is forever there. God, restore me to you. Restore us into your presence that we may be made new today. Let's pray. God, you are good, and your love endures forever, and you love us, and you care for us, and you know that we experience the pain and agony and the reality of this world, and you know that we experience this dislocation from you, and you give us the words of the writer of Lamentations to provide us with hope. to provide us with a pathway to acknowledge who you are, the challenge of the reality of our day, and the hope of the restoration in you. Holy Spirit, remind us of that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Let's respond together.